There's a whole lot of things I want to tell you about Adventures dangerous and Everyone has a relationship with gender. What's your story? Hello and welcome to Gender Stories, with your host, Dr. Alexian Taffy. Hi and welcome to another episode of Gender Stories. I am so excited to be introducing the person I'm interviewing, Eric Peregrine, and they are amazing. Um, they are artistic director of the Ensemble Campagno, music director of the Woodbury Chorus and Orchestra, assistant conductor for One Voice Mixed Choir, and artistic consultant for Caritas Vocal Ensemble. And on top of that, they are guest clinician and lecturer pretty much all over the place, right, Eric? Mm-hmm. Um, so. I am not at all intimidated. Yes, that is sarcasm that you're detecting in my voice. I'm actually incredibly intimidated to be interviewing such an amazing person. And the reason why I'm interviewing you, it's because soon in April, April 13 and 14 of this year, 2018, there is going to be a Transgender Voices Festival here in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, which we're both feature speakers at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that you, as my listeners, would be much more interested in listening to Eric rather than to me. But I promise I will also tell you about my experience after the festival. So I know I'm super excited about this festival. Eric, what are you excited about when it comes to the Transgender Voices Festival? Well, I am I'm so excited to bring together both transgender singers and the voice teachers and conductors and music educa- educators, excuse me, um, that work with trans singers. Um, it's it's a pretty unique event, um, and there's there's not a whole lot of accessible pedagogy for trans singers uh, around on the internet, etc. Um, it's it's a fairly recent um, recent and developing area of study. So I'm I'm really excited that we get to bring all of these people together uh, to celebrate the diversity of voices in our in our community. Um, so a little bit about the festival. Um, like I said, we have um, sessions for trans singers, uh, including a festival choir that I'm running, um, and some voice lessons uh, that people can sign up for individual coaching with their particular voices, uh, as well as just more general sessions on vocal health um, and that as relates to speaking as well as singing, etc. And then on the other side of that coin, uh, we've got a whole track for, again, for voice teachers, uh, conductors, music educators, etc., um, who are working with trans voices about, you know, healthy vocal pedagogy, how to teach um, uh, teach singers in any, uh, who are transitioning in any direction, um, and how to be more inclusive educators in, in your classrooms and ensembles. Uh, there are also some sessions that will bring the two groups together uh, that I, I think Alex is leading at, at the beginning yeah. of things. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited just to get all of the, the diverse people and bodies and voices all together and celebrate what we can, what we can do as a community. 
Yeah, I, I'm super excited. I'm still not quite 100% sure of what I'm doing, but I know <laughs> I'm doing something that kind of, it's going to help bring people fully into presence and somatic presence and connect with their body. And our voice is kind of part of our bodies. You mm -hmm. know, we, we need to use our body to be able to sing, to be able to speak. Um, and the festival is not just about singing, like you said, it's also about storytelling, mm -hmm. uh, spoken word, and both evenings, I think there are performances, right? Yeah. I know, because I'm doing a spoken word piece, <laughs> which is terrifying, um, stretching myself <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to actually read one of my pieces. But um, so, yes, a lot of it is really about people bringing all of themselves, mm -hmm. right? Um, and their voice and I'm um, talking about voice I would love for you to tell me a little bit uh, more about the relationship um, between voice and gender and how you view that relationship because you're really an expert in kind of vocal, vocal pedagogy and gender and uh, I would love to know more about your work um, and also about that relationship between mm -hmm. gender and voice yeah absolutely uh, well, our voices are one of the most the most primal ways that we communicate ourselves to the world. Um, that's true in terms of speaking. That's also true um, as it relates to the artistry of singing. Um, and at least in the Western choral tradition, which I have been trained in extensively, it's what we think of as choir. Um, the the voice parts have been traditionally highly, highly gendered. Uh, so sopranos and altos mm -hmm. are women, and tenors and basses are men in this in this tradition. Um, which is, is rather confining because there's, there's so many factors that go into the voice part that you sing. Um, there are uh, cisgender or pe uh, people who aren't trans, mm -hmm. uh, cisgender men who are sopranos and altos naturally. Um, in in uh, Handel's time, Handel of ye old messiah fame, um, it was one of the most popular voice types was the male alto. Um, and so that, I, that, that kind of completely flips our, um, our established paradigm of voice and gender on its head to have male voices singing in, in high virtuosic ranges. And, and similarly, there are plenty of cisgender women whose voices are low and that sit in the tenor, baritone, and sometimes even bass ranges. Uh, so even, even amongst cisgender singers, there's, there's a huge range of potential voice types. Um, that it can't be simply boiled down into your treble voices are women and your um, your tenor bass voices are men, um, and th I mean that that's not even thinking about non-binary people who again whose voices may be anywhere all over the map. Um, so that said, uh, there's there's a movement um, a movement to be more inclusive in in our choral pedagogies and to break down those expectations. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, Jane Ramsire Miller and I, uh, she's the artistic director of One Voice. Uh, we speak to a lot of music educators and um, pre-service teachers about ways to break apart those those gendered expectations in the classroom. Um, and one of the the easiest and <laughs> sometimes hardest language shifts for for teachers that have been teaching a while. But one of the um, simplest things to to shift in your pedagogy is to simply refer to sections by their voice part. Um, if you want to hear the sopranos and altos, just ask for the sopranos and altos, uh, rather than asking for all of the women to sing. Um, little, little language shifts like that can make a huge, uh, a huge difference in the experience of your students and singers. 
Um, but to bring it back to more what you were yeah. talking about, I kind of got off great. on my little tangent. This is great. You can get off on all the tangents <laughs> you want. This is fascinating. <laughs> um, so voice as it relates to gender, um, you know, when we hear deeper voices for, like mine, for example, we assume that the person uh, is male. And when we hear higher voices, we assume that that person is female. Um, and it, it, it usually exists within that binary system, um, like most of Western society. Um, but just as in, as in choir, um, the, the, that, those pitches of the voice may not actually have any, any bearing or, or uh, communication of that individual's gender. Um, so I, it's, the, voice is often, um, the voice is often an element of great pain for trans folks. Um, whose voices don't don't necessarily match what society's expectation would be, or what their own sense of what their their voice and and by extension their body should should communicate, um, and that that that's another thing that that we as voice teachers and conductors working with trans singers have to be really sensitive about. Um, I'm thinking particularly of of some of the trans women singers that I know. Um, and, okay, another vocal pedagogy side tangent. Um, so everyone's got a larynx. Uh, that's the, the thing in your throat that makes, um, that makes the sound of your voice. Um, air comes up through your lungs, goes through these two little flaps of skin that vibrate together, um, much like uh, the strings of a guitar or um, the reeds of a, of a wind instrument. Um, and then the sound that comes out is your voice. Uh, so the length and the thickness of these vocal folds, or chords, they're sometimes called, is what determines what that pitch is. Um, so the larynx is very, very sensitive to uh, hormonal shifts. Um, these can be you know, subtle throughout, throughout your life, or in, in the case of some people, I'm thinking particularly of people who go through uh, testosterone puberty, um, the, the effects can be quite dramatic. Um, the thing to keep in mind, though, is uh, testosterone's effect on the larynx is permanent. Um, so the lengthening and deepening of the voice, of the vocal folds themselves, um, that we typically attribute to, say, our middle school boys in choir who are up here, and then it goes like this, and then they're more down here. Um, testosterone's effect is, is permanent. So for trans women who have gone through uh, testosterone puberty, where their voices have landed, and typically in the tenor, baritone, and bass ranges, will continue to be the healthiest place for them to sing because of the physical structure of their instrument. Um, and that, that can be really, really challenging for, for trans singers to wrestle with um, because they may want to be sopranos and altos um, and sing in, in the high ranges that we have typically ascribed to female voices. Um, but it, it, for many singers, it simply isn't a reality. Um, so that, that's a point of, of sensitivity for voice teachers, and I, I think we have um, at least one, if not two or three sessions um, that deal specifically with navigating, um, navigating that sort of vocal dysphoria with, with your singers. Um, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> this is wonderful. Yes, I'm happy to kind of jump in there if, yeah, if there's do. a pause. Because um, yes, all of this, um, I also see in my practice as a therapist in mm -hmm. terms of people dealing with dysphoria, mm -hmm. of which is not just about, it's about all of ourselves, right? All yeah. of our bodies. So many people do struggle with vocal dysphoria and that can, um, 
mean that they don't like to make phone calls, for example, mm-hmm. or that they used to sing but they stopped singing because um, maybe they don't have enough support to manage those changes, mm-hmm. which can be quite stressful uh, if there are voice changes for people who are taking testosterone or because they feel that would be misgendered or mm-hmm. they would be seen not as feminine mm-hmm. if they're feminine folks, like you said. And so I'm curious about... Um, you talked about those small changes that people can make, for example, that mm-hmm. you and Jane teach kind of um, choir directors and educators about. And I wonder if you've seen kind of what difference does it make uh, for people um, to be in choir that are more inclusive. And I'm thinking of trans folks, but I'm also thinking about cis people, especially mm-hmm. I think there's such policing of gender and especially yeah. femininity and masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of a lot of folks who might be cis women or cis men who actually have a different range than what we expect mm-hmm. kind of in broader society. And I know One Voice Mixed Choir really has cis and trans folks and queer folks and allies. It's it's a really wonderful experience. I used to sing in the mm-hmm. choir for a couple of seasons a few years ago. And I wonder if you can say a little bit more about what difference do you see it makes to choir participants and singers to be in a different environment mm-hmm. where they're not bound by their gender, but they really can make the most of their instrument, like you said. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I mean it, it's the difference between showing up as as an it's the word I'm looking for showing up as an instrument versus showing up as a whole human being mm. um, when we make the spaces in our ensembles for the full range of humanity we empower our singers to live into that <clears throat> into that through uh, through the way that they're singing and the way that they're connecting with the other singers in the room and creating something together um, I've I've been in a lot of choral situations um, where I haven't felt like my whole self was welcome. Um, and it's, it's really, really challenging. Um, it's like music is something that is so, it goes straight to your heart. It goes straight to the core of who you are as a human being. Um, and to know that you can only be partially present in it is, can be really damaging, uh, especially because I, I think a lot of people come, come to choral singing because they're looking for community, mm-hmm. because they're looking for a place to bring themselves, and because they're looking for somewhere that they can take time out of their lives to be fully present uh, in their bodies and their minds and their spirits. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's absolutely a moral must. Um, that we as that we as conductors make space for for everyone in our ensembles, and that means language shifts. That means um, getting used to saying sopranos, altos, tenors, mm-hmm. basses, um, greeting people with folks rather than ladies and gentlemen. Um, it means thinking of adjectives to describe the music that aren't bound to gender. Um, like if you if you're asking your alto section. Um, to sing in with a more womanly tone, you're excluding potentially so many people's experiences. Um, and what, what does that yeah. even mean? Yeah, I was going to say that. What does that even mean? I can think of a, like 15 different types of cis women. Like, yeah, exactly. And singers even, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, Pink versus Adele versus Beyonce, all mm-hmm. have different voices. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's, there's so many um, subtle things with language like that. 
um, that can that can open up um, open up the world of possibility for your singers. Your cisgender singers may not notice that you're doing it, but I guarantee that your queer and trans singers will. Um, another thing that you can do uh, is consider your concert attire. Um, are you a choir director that has tuxes and dresses? Uh, if so, um, maybe consider moving to something uh, like a, a neutral concert black that allows singers to self-determine what, uh, what level of formal wear, uh, or not the level of formal wear, but what uh, particular mm -hmm. expression of clothing is going to allow them to show up and be most present in your room. Um, if all of your sopranos and altos are wearing dresses, and all of your tenors and basses are wearing tuxes, um, there's a good chance that someone, if not more than someone, is going to be uncomfortable. Um, and I, I, I don't use uncomfortable in a, in a surface-level flippant sort of way. Mm -hmm. this, this comes back to that sense of being able to bring your full and true humanity into, into the music that you're making. Um, so I, the, th those are some of the, the big bullet points mm -hmm. Uh, we go through. <laughs> Those are really wonderful bullet points, I have to say. And and I love what you said about um, really supporting people to show up in their full humanity. Mm -hmm. Because when I started this podcast, that was one of the ideas is that whenever I talk about gender, I teach about gender, everybody has a relationship with gender. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a story about gender. Absolutely. And everybody has some pain about the policing of the gender binary, mm -hmm. regardless whether they're trans or not. Um, one of the things I love about the Minnesota Orchestra, which I love to go see whenever I can, is that um, not all of the people, the feminine folks in the orchestra wear dresses, for example. That's mm -hmm. one of the things I really noticed. And um, Sarah Hicks is one of the conductors, mm -hmm. wears pants very often She's and fabulous awesome. shoes, <laughs> amazing shoes. I was like, if she was around when I was studying music as a teenager, I might have continued and become a conductor. Just uh, um, even traditionally, I'd always only seen male conductors. Mm -hmm. I realized, you know, I'm in my 40s and had the um, privilege to be brought up in Italy where I got exposed to a lot of classical music and mm -hmm. opera, but they were definitely very gendered domains. Oh, absolutely. And conducting seemed to be a very male domain when I was being brought mm -hmm. up. So, this idea that um, we can have practices that help people show up as fully human no matter what their identity is or what their expression. Of gender is mm -hmm. it's just it's just what I live for really so this is very exciting um, I, w I would love to hear just a little bit more about you know you you said that those are the kind of things that you talk about and you teach how are they received because you travel so much mm -hmm. um, and um, you know you go to all these different places and what difference do you uh, see in how the information you're give giving is being received by then people who go on to um, put those practices in place in their communities? Mm -hmm. Well, by and large, it's been very well received everywhere I've been. Um, I think teachers want the best for their students. That's why they're teachers. <laughs> um, and usually the types of teachers that come, uh, that come to sessions about supporting their queer and trans singers are the kinds of teachers that really deeply want to learn. Um, so I, I, I haven't gotten any, any negative feedback, knock on wood, now that I've said <laughs> that I'm sure there'll be someone. <laughs> um, but yeah, teachers genuinely want to help their students, and I think as we see more and more trans visibility, um, students are coming out earlier and earlier. 
um, and and teachers are looking for for help because they want to do it right and they yeah. they want to honor the experiences of their students um, and it may not be something that they've had to walk through before mm. um, so it's I think it's 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 really wonderful to see the light bulbs start to go off in educators' eyes when they realize all of these little things that they can do um, and that it all comes back to the, the same sort of work that they would do with any student is building a trusting relationship, getting to know who is in your room and being able to be in relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yes, and when, I, when you were talking, I was thinking about uh, what I was saying earlier about how many people struggle with their voice, mm-hmm. often regardless of their identity. And so I wonder if you had a piece of advice for people who do struggle with their maybe their voice range not matching and maybe um, either not sharing their voice with the world because mm-hmm. of the pain that that might bring or trying to force their voice into a range that it's not healthy mm-hmm. for them. If there was something that you could say to folks who are struggling with their voice because of their gender, mm-hmm. what kind of advice would you give, if any, or maybe words of support or encouragement? Wow. I know, <laughs> sorry. Just an, easy, just an easy question from there without you knowing that it was coming. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. <laughs> wow. Um, it is hard. It's something, it's something that I struggled with. Um, I... Um, through my undergrad, I you know, took four, four years of voice lessons, was training as a contralto, which is this really low, deep, rich um, alto um, voice. Uh, I was assigned female at birth, um, but I'm a non-binary trans person. Um, and for me, exploring, exploring that sort of ambiguous range was really what started to open the door for me of understanding my gender um, in more nuanced ways. Um, and being someone who is on the path to be a professional musician, professional conductor, um, I was absolutely terrified um, of losing my voice that I'd been working so hard um, to build. Um, and it, it, it took a long time for me to be comfortable with the idea of of starting any sort of hormone therapy that would make changes and you, you, you don't really know what you're going to get on the other side. Um, it's probably going to be lower, um, but there was such a dearth of, of resources um, that I, I was very, very afraid. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that if you're listening to this, then maybe you've experienced some of that fear as well. Um, I will say, in terms of words of advice, Knowing you, knowing knowing yourself, and knowing um, knowing what is truly at the core of your being will carry you a very far way. Um, you have, by nature of having a larynx, you have a unique instrument. No larynx is like anyone else's larynx. It's like snowflakes, but inside your throat, <laughs> um, you have something that no one else has. It's completely unique to you. It's completely unique to your gender, and that's really wonderful. Um, it can be really hard to wrestle with that not fitting your expectations or society's expectations, um, but it's still yours, and I think there's something really, really magical in that. Um, one of the things that we as voice teachers 
uh, work with students of, of any gender history and, and whatnot on uh, is just being able to use your, your voice, the voice that you have in the body that you have, in the healthiest and most sustainable way possible. Um, for me, uh, that practice always comes back to rooting in the body um, and allowing the body to be both strong and open to make space for the air, uh, to make space for um, the voice. Um, so I would caution, I would caution you, um, listening friends, um, to not push your voice where it doesn't sit naturally. Um, you can do long-term damage to your instrument in that way, either by trying to, you know, speak to speaker sing too high for too long or speaker sing too low. Um, you know, th there is a possibility of permanent damage um, because you're you're pushing your larynx into a, a place where it doesn't live naturally. Um, so on on your own, um, take time take time to come into your body. Um, let your center of gravity be nice and low. Um, let your back and your chest open so that your lungs can expand as they, as they will. Um, if you're binding, um, try this sometime without your binder on so you can feel the full expansion of your ribs. Um, and breathe in, breathe in through your heels as if you're breathing in through the earth, letting your whole rib cage expand nice and low. And then just sigh and just feel where that sits for you. Um, I think for, for us trans folks, there's so much held in the voice and the body that sometimes coming back to these primal, just moments of embodiment um, can be hugely healing and hugely helpful in releasing, uh, releasing tension, releasing uh, energetic tension or whatever you want to call it. Um, take time each day to check back into your body. Um, and I think that over time, your voice will hopefully start to feel more a part of you. I mean, I, I hope that that's the case. Um, and if it's not, that, that too is worth honoring. Um, Thank you. That, that is so beautiful. I, I was going to say if there was anything else that you wanted to talk about that I hadn't asked you about. And I was, yeah, there was a lot that resonated there mm -hmm. with and just knowing my own struggle and knowing so many other people struggle with yeah. voice. Um, just coming back to the body and then our body's connection to the earth and mm -hmm. to gravity and just letting ourselves be fully present is just, I, I can't think of any more beautiful advice and so wonderfully given. So thank, thank you. you for that. But yeah, if there is anything that you wanted to add beyond that, um, I would love to know if there's anything I haven't asked you about that you think it's important for people to know either about the festival mm -hmm. um, or about gender and voice. Yeah, well, if you're in the Minneapolis area, Minneapolis-St. Paul, uh, we, we will have the festival chorus for the two days of the festival. We'll rehearse together, we'll sing together, uh, hopefully we'll laugh together too. Um, but then there, there will be a weekly chorus, a trans-specific chorus that will continue um, on Thursday evenings um, until uh, the middle, middle to end of June. I'm forgetting the exact date right off the top of my head, uh, but we'll be joining One Voice Mixed Chorus for their 30th anniversary concert. Um, so if you are in the area and you are a trans-identified, non-binary, gender non-conforming person, um, 
I would love to have you join us for a couple months of rehearsals and, and fellowship. That sounds wonderful. And if you are interested in coming to the Transgender Voices Festival, you can live anywhere and just come and visit us in the beautiful Twin Cities. It's probably cheap time still to get flights in April because <laughs> the weather is not that great, but the people are wonderful. Um, you can go to the One Voice website, which is www.onevoicemn.org. That's www.onevoicemn.org. And look for the Transgender Voices Festival. There is a wonderful sliding scale fee which starts at zero. So um, cost, don't let cost deter you from attending such a wonderful event with amazing um, people coming from all over the U.S. really to share their knowledge and expertise and their voice and their song with one another. And you don't have to be trans, non-binary, uh, or gender non-conforming to attend. Um, cis people are welcome, especially if you're teachers or music mm -hmm. educators or choir directors. There's probably a lot of knowledge there for you if you're interested in this area. And if you're interested in the um, area of gender in general, um, there's a book that Mac John Barker and I have written, which is called How to Understand Your Gender, a practical guide for exploring who you are, which is published by Jessica Kingsley Publisher. And I invite you to check it out. And yes, that is a shameless plug. <laughs> so um, before we finish, I just really want to thank you, Eric, for sharing um, not just your incredible depth of knowledge and education that you have in this area, but also really so generously and vulnerably sharing of yourself um, and of your your own experience because I know that it's always a kind of a vulnerable thing mm -hmm. to do um, and so I just want to express some gratitude for being just the most wonderful guest that I could wish for <laughs> in my early days of the Gender Stories podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Um, and thank you all for listening. Um, the next episode will be out uh, by May 1st. Um, and I hope that many of you will check out the Transgender Voices Festival. And I hope that you keep listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about Gender Stories. You can find the podcast on iTunes. You can also find it on FM Player and on your favorite podcast listening platform. So thank you for listening, and until next time, keep using the wonderful voice that you have. Thank you.